When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. It's the podcast. Podcast. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast. Today I've got with me someone who has been described as if you can imagine taking the nightmares of Geiger and the dystopian scope of Betsinki one step further, then you can imagine the work of Paul Gerard. Hello, Paul Gerard. Hello, hello. That's um that's a formidable description of, uh, and a formidable way to introduce someone, I might add, as well. <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. Do you want to tell people what it is that you do to, I, to gain that to gain yeah. that kind of notoriety? <laughs> <laughs> I work as a concept artist for movies and sometimes games, but mostly movies. And I'm the guy at the very start, so I'm the guy kind of with the director or producer and writer, so... Well, I'm the guy that came up with the ideas at the very start and, you know, goes from there. Okay, okay. And and the reason that we're, we're set up here today to talk on the podcast is that you're you're looking to promote a pro- new project that you're working on, and that is? That's Hellraiser Origins. Okay. And that's um, a project I've been on for, God, nearly, nearly two years now. Okay. And that's a very personal project to try and reboot the franchise, the very... Dying franchise of Hellraiser. Okay, okay, right. Well, we'll uh, we'll revisit that in a mo- in, in in a few minutes or so. But first, let's let's look at how you, Paul Gerard, get to mm-hmm. be a concept artist in film. Sure. Um, at the very beginning, now this is just for a bit of fun, really. You know, sort of thinking about sort of going back to where the film bug bit you. What or who represents a tipping point for you where you go, I want to be involved in making films. That well, I'll be honest, I. It, for me, it was always about creating, just creating artwork. I wasn't that bothered about who had it or who showed it. Yeah. Uh, I was working on games for a long time, and I also had a few exhibitions in uh, like New York and, and Germany, just on my own personal dark artwork. Okay. And uh, I had some work in like uh, a concept art book. A guy called Jonathan Liebesman, who's director of Battle Los Angeles and. Uh, Turtles, he saw it, rang me up, and said, "Do you want to, you know, do you want to pitch for a movie?" He's he's writing, and I thought, well, you know, why not give it a shot? And jumped jumped forward a couple of years, he did it again with Battle Los Angeles, and we got the movie. And I was working sort of seventy hours a week with three jobs, 
doing this movie, but after that I thought, yeah, movies is, is where I want to be. So I never looked back after that. It was that was it. That's not too dissimilar, is it? From I mean, that's how Geiger got in, wasn't it? That was yeah. Know, yeah. Absolutely, we got involved it. with with concept stuff for um, Alien, wasn't it? It wasn't like he went to go into films. He was approached. Well, exactly. I mean, I I never even done concept art before that. It was it was just I think that probably what helped because in the movie industry, I think a lot of concept guys they look exactly the same and they're all taught the same. They all think the same. I think the fact that my work was so different and the way I approach things is so different maybe that gave me an edge from the start you know and like, there, there were similarities to Geiger because the film was you know it was an alien invasion film hmm. and, it, and it was about trying to reimagine that you know alien species I must admit I know from um, I mean I'm a script writer myself and I know from script writing the one thing they tell you to try and avoid for first for first time script writers that is not for um, not just generally yeah. is um, is sci-fi and dystopian future yeah, because yeah. no matter what you tr you can you're either gonna have to write a lot of detail on the page mm -hmm. or everyone's gonna think it's Blade Runner yeah that's it yeah Blade Runner <laughs> or Alien that's it because you, can, you, yeah. you can't help but reference other films can you not when you no, when you no, think you're talking it. about a film so that's interesting I guess yeah I guess it would it would take a, a kind of vision from outside film to to lend itself to a film to 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 push ideas forward. So what what is that what what do you know what the work was that he was can you describe the work yeah, that he'd that um, Jonathan had it seen? Was a, it was a thumbnail image I did. I call it was called uh, an image I called Decayed Hearn and it was simply it was a massive kind of uh, rustic maybe three mile high decayed robot which I envisioned in say like a thousand years time hmm. where people would would worship it as um, a pagan deity. Because they wouldn't have realised that they were robots in the, in the past, <laughs> and, and he just he saw that he liked the scale and the, and, the te and the technique, and just rang me up and asked me to to work with him a little bit. So it was thanks to John that I kind of got my art from there to in the movies. And it was Jonathan who I was quoting, wasn't it, from at the beginning? Yeah, when that's it. Yeah. So uh, I must confess, uh, you'd have to tell me who um, who Beksinski is. Uh, Stanisław Beksinski is a Polish artist. Okay. Uh, he's, he's very similar to Geiger, but he's, uh, whereas Geiger's kind of very monochromatic and his work's quite similar. You know, yeah. Every image is quite similar. Baskinski draws influence from anything from jazz to World War Two. It's really okay. impressive stuff. Yeah, no, I'll check it out. I'll check it out. So I'm assuming then from what you're saying that you're you're an art school background then, is that right? No, never, so never went to college. <laughs> no. So you're just uh, you're just the person that kept that kept drawing, as it were. Yeah, just self-taught, just kept drawing, no matter what um, job I had, whether it's really bad job, art job, whatever. It was a case of getting home and drawing straight off, or sometimes do it in the office when they're not looking. <laughs> so what was uh, what would you say? Uh, I'll go back to that same question. Then. So what was <laughs> where, where? I mean, there's two influences mentioned there that Jonathan's spotting, but I mean, where were you taking your lead from? Into what was inspiring you to draw? Were you a comic fan? Or? No, um, I, I guess it's uh, well. Taking it right back to the start, mm. it was um, album covers I liked. You know, like uh, metal album covers from the seventies and eighties, like Iron Maiden and stuff like that. Yeah, wasn't a massive fan of, of the music, but it was all the kind of elaborate fantasy, sci-fi, horror book covers, all that kind of stuff that got me into it. Okay, okay, and then that was it. Then you just went on a, that from there you go on a flight of fantasy that, that leads yeah, you into all these yeah. other worlds. Yeah, that's it. Plus, I mean, when I, between the age of maybe 14 and 
uh, early 20s, I had a, I won't say a rough childhood, but a quite an introvert childhood with a you know, alcoholic father and such. And so I spent all my spare time just painting in my room. A lot of time I didn't go out, just, you know, I'd buy a canvas and just, just hit the paint 24-7. Wow. And it, it just developed from there. So so now you're, so, so, so the uh, the reason that I got talked to you is I got past the link to uh, a teaser you've done. Yeah. To reboot the Hellraiser franchise. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, and you say well, you said before that's something you've been working on for two years. So, what? Where was that born out of? That was born. I worked with Alex Perez uh, for a year and a half on Paradise Lost, John Milton's Paradise Lost. Right. And it was a massive budget uh, movie, but it didn't make it because it was too expensive, and it was uh, it was going to be all CG, so they canned it. But that was like a year and a half of research on angels and demons and hell and everything like that. So when it was finished, it was just in my head 24-7. And I thought, you know, if I could do any project myself, what would it be? And it just Hellraiser popped up straight away. And probably because I was in that zone for so long. Yeah. And, and obviously the franchise was, was on its bones. And I heard that Weinstein's or Dimension uh, were more than open to pitches. I just thought, what the hell, I'll do it. I'll, I'll start with trying to reimagine Pinhead. And it just it went from that to stories, concepts, to literally illustrating an entire world and then plugging the story into it. And a few guys came on board and, and whatnot, and that's where we are now. We, I got a director on board to do the teaser, and now we're ready to pitch the studio in, in a couple of months and see what happens, really. Is the script written? Well, it's a treatment. Um, so the script's easy enough to write, yeah. And the world itself is done in such a way that there aren't any closed narrative loops. So you, you can plug in a script if you want and create your own little world inside that one. Okay. It's not like it's not like the old films where it's you know man opens box, demons come, dead, closed box. It's just a closed loop. Or you know every franchised movie was the same. Yeah. The the concept was to break that up. So you can have this elaborate stories, but still keep it contained within the mythology. Yeah, I must admit, I bailed out on the, the um, I think it was the fourth one. Yeah, I think most people did. The art dealer. Yeah. Yeah, no, I bailed out of that one. <laughs> Hellraiser in space. <laughs> there is a Hellraiser in space. That was the before Hellraiser in space. Oh, is that, sorry, right? Well, no, I bailed the, the bit when the art. De- well, I didn't get that far then because they there were a bit with the art dealer. Oh, that's number three then. You oh, sorry, right? Earlier. Bailed after that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, no! I haven't seen it in space then. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, well, well. I mean, given you had so much in your mind from that other project, it still strikes me as a as a brave move, regardless of where the the franchise has gone, mm-hmm. uh, to reimagine someone as iconic as Pinhead. Where did you yeah. Where did you start with that? I basically, first of all, I knew I got to strip it strip it right off of all that goth rubbish that was, you know, big in the eighties. It was taboo. You know, S and M and all that was taboo in the eighties, but now you know, you walk down certain streets and you've got, you know, teens dressing up in chains and black leather and whatnot. It's it's not taboo anymore. Okay. The first thing was to get rid of all that rubbish and strip it right back to the core principles of the character. And from then, once I had him, it was kind of a case of okay, we stripped down this character to the, the raw essence. Why not strip the entire world down to that? So the entire world and premise is actually set before humans it's, it's right back at the start oh wow it's kind of 
it's not hell on earth. It, it's it's when earth is hell kind of thing. I think you've got, got a bit Prometheus there. A little bit, yeah, yeah, In a little sense. bit Prometheus, yeah. So, so that's so that's what that's where you've done. So, you've, that's what you've done with the story. Then, is it you've you've kind of took us back to before man. Yeah, before man, and you go all manners of creatures and and gods and deities, kind of what the earth, and it's all very raw, very uh, esoteric, very kind of sex magic and stuff like this. And who who's who is that, who who would be our hero in this film? There would be Pinhead. Okay, uh, it's kind of like an anti-hero, you know, decline of of his human side type of thing. But it's, the thing is, it's not Pinhead as in an earlier version of the character you see in the movies. It's the only reason we call him Pinhead is because of the iconic visuals that he kind of represents. So yeah. it would be a new character. Mm. It wouldn't be along the same timeline as, as the new movies. It'd be more kind of a... Yeah, kind of like a raw version of him, but not related to the ones in the future, if you know what I mean. It's it, the only reason he's pinned is because of his, his iconic visuals. And 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 do, and do you? Do, I mean, as process, do you have to seek the approval of Clive Barker to? No, well, not really. He doesn't own the rights. You see, okay. Uh, Dimension own all the rights. So the idea is you pitch to Dimension. I mean, we tried to get Barker involved. I tried to get in contact, but he. He didn't respond to any kind of uh, communication, but the time he was doing this, he was seriously ill as well. He was uh, yeah, in, a coma, in a coma for like eight weeks or something. Yeah. So he's really battling health at the moment. So what's the what what stage are you at now then with it? Well, the the illustrated world is done. The, the treatment's done. The teaser we shot last year, that was that took a hell of a job to get the visual effects finished, but that's finished. Mm. Uh, we decided. You could do it two ways. You could send it direct to Dimension. If they like it, they'll probably just keep it and maybe use it. Nobody will ever see it. Uh, if they don't like it, they'll they'll slap a kind of a cease and assist on you, and it won't get released anyway. Mm. So we decided to release it all publicly and try and gain momentum, and then they would come to us. Uh, big kick, biggest kick in the teeth recently was Clive Barker announced he was going to do his own version. Like a week before we released our teaser, so that kind of put us dead in the tracks a little bit in terms of um, a reboot movie if that goes ahead. But we're still quite adamant this this hitch uh, origins could even be prequel or a sequel or a, a, like a spin-off. It could be uh, I'm playing around with like an animated movie or it could even be a computer game. So. So how, that, how, how do you envisage the the when you say momentum then how do you envisage this momentum being are you saying like you'll get like I don't know hundred thousand a million hits or something for the teaser and things like that? Yeah, well, that, that's the that's it. That's uh, pretty much the way we've got to get it to work. Is it's all about the stats and the more people that view the, the teaser, the more the stats go up and you kind of have that uh, proof. If it goes viral, then the studios will kind of turn their heads and have a look. And uh, then, then we, from there, we can back it up with the entire art world and, and the treatment and such. Okay, okay. And it's is there, is there, there's an official there's an official movie site. Mm-hmm. Um, does that does, does that capture stats as well? It does. Yeah. Oh, of course it does. Yeah, because it tells you yeah. it tells you at the bottom of the page, doesn't it, that your your X number visitor. Yeah. Plus, every time you uh, somebody will view the movie, that will capture the stats on mm. on Vimeo or, or YouTube. So I think we're about. I think 150,000 views so far. 
which is pretty, isn't too bad for the week. Not at all, not at all. And have any of the, um, and how's, have any conversations with any of the kind of, um, kind of horror, horror webs, you know, the main horror websites and news outlets, are any of them picking up on it yet? I'm really surprised because uh, online stuff has it, gone everywhere, particularly Italy and Norway, the big horror fans. Yeah. But the actual horror magazines, they haven't run it and they haven't shown it. I okay. don't know whether it's because it's it's not Clive Barker, but maybe they haven't, but it's it's a very strange one, because I thought they'd be the first to pick up on it. Sci-Fi magazines have got it. It's going to be in Sci-Fi Now next month. Okay. And I've done a few podcasts with kind of like genre magazines, but the actual kind of pure horror mags, they, they won't run with it. So there's sort of, what you mean, like the Fangoras and the Dread Sensor yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah, Remorgue and Fangoria. I think maybe it's, it's because it's, it's kind of... Uh, they see it as too much of an outside shot, or maybe it's too different from. I guess you know, it is. I mean, it would be, wouldn't it? I mean, it is it at the oh, moment. Yeah. It's it's a genuine, like you say, it's a punt, isn't it? The, yeah, to, exactly. To, to yeah. sort of draw attention to yourself and go, and then get, and then accrue some popularity and go, look, see, we yeah. people like. I mean, the the official Hellraiser websites, which are run, run by those guys, uh, they wouldn't show it for a long time. But I had a podcast with them last week. Yeah. And they kind of saw the light, and um, they've not stopped showing it. So, I think it's the case of how you're perceived. Through, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. Well, the film, the film world is a guarded world, isn't it? If it's nothing yeah, else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Every, everybody I'm knows, I'm and, hopeful, and at yeah. the same time, nobody's got an idea. Nobody's got a clue what's going on at the same time. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. So, so what was it? I mean, when when you were reimagining it, what, how how faithful are you to what we would, what anyone, any of us would know from the first? Let's say the first three, because I guess they were. Yeah, I mean it's it's quintessentially it is Hellraiser. It's it's all about you know uh, that void inside and that kind of uh, absolute obsession with experience and and pleasure and pain and all this stuff. But it's we kind of torn down, really torn down the kind of uh, fetish sexual side of it, and and brought in. Not I wouldn't say action, but it, it's more it's more. Um, forthcoming in the events, it's not as slow as the other movies, it's uh, yeah, it's far more esoteric as well it's the whole thing, whether it be designs of the characters or the scenes it has this esoteric nature where every line and shape is is set up to kind of instigate or trigger something in your mind you know, it's kind of like uh, Aronofsky's Dune it's a Hellraiser version of Aronofsky's Dune <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's an ambitious thought that's uh, <laughs> Um, so that I mean, does I mean, if it, does that mean then that because um, I'm getting well from the first one is I mean the idea of pleasure and pain and, and and sex being being grouped together and then maybe sort of distancing yourself from this from maybe the sex element mm-hmm. is is the is this film creating the box that becomes the thing that traps you in 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 the future as it were or is that not um, I wouldn't want to go too much into the plot wise but okay. it's. Hellraiser 1 and 2 were kind of all about the box and the god of Leviathan and this order of kind of uh, gardeners of sin sort of thing. And that's what I liked the most. So I wanted to really look into the kind of the order, the priesthood of these guys and where they come from and how that priesthood developed. And then from that you get how the box developed and how... The worship of the god is all interwoven into that relationship, so it's it's taken right back to kind of take out all the human element, and you've got this kind of really twisted order of priests 
that may have been started off innocent and then because of their environment and because of this god worship they've really kind of turned that leaf into what they become in the future okay okay so so from um, from a Brickflix listener point of view the best thing that people can do to help you is a watch it yeah that's and it. b share it well, yeah it's easy as that just uh, have a look okay well i'll um, i'll i'll certainly put the um I'll put the link with the podcast anyway in the, in the written bits so people can see it. Great. Um, Great. Now, as part of the normal format, I don't know if you've listened to, ever listened to any of the podcasts, but I, t- I have a couple of questions at the end as well, which are more more general and not and not, and, and, and again for the flights of fancy. And yes. it's and and funny enough, it's um, what you've come on for answers the question in some senses. So maybe maybe we can have a, another one because uh, what what uh, actually no, I'll, I'll go with I'll go with another one first. Sure, um, sure. Being Britflix and being interested in British film, would you, could you recommend a British horror film that is, in your mind, sadly underrated and often overlooked? Oh, that, that's a tough one. Uh, I can't honestly can't think. Oh, I liked Severance. I think it was Severance. The uh, the kind of going all back to the kind of uh, horror in the woods thing. I really liked that movie. Okay, that was, uh, yeah. that was James Brown. James Brown. James Moran wrote that one. Yeah, yeah. I think it just had humour, level of humour in there that I really liked. Okay, okay. Well, all right. Well, the, the very last que- the question that I always ask, and it's just ironic that you're, you're actually the actual reason you're on here is about a reboot. But um, <laughs> the question I asked, so it's just, I think, so if, if there's any others on your, on your list, if there was another film that you could you could be involved in rebooting, um, were, I would I would do. I wanted to have done Robocop. You wanted to do one, you wouldn't have done Yeah, I wanted to do Robocop. I pitched so very hard to all the producers and directors, but I got nothing. Because the take I had was so very different. Okay. Yeah, I, would have, I would have loved to do that. Can, can you elaborate? Um, I wanted to do a kind of right in the future, but he, he's pretty much he's, he's decayed. He's, he's been shot to pieces out of anything left of him at all. Yet he's still uh, able to battle on in this kind of ongoing war, and uh, that's that's the way the way I pitched it. So my images were very gritty, very war-torn kind of uh, Black Hawk down in the future with Robocop in the centre, and that's the way I wanted to do it. But the way they've gone was just uh, well, well, we'll see. It, it looks like a pure remake. But we'll I mean, in, in your, I mean, in your experience from the, because I mean, the films you you know, Battle uh, Battle Los Angeles and Wrath of Titans, and you've mm-hmm. got. I noticed that you're conceptual artist on Seventh Son. Which yeah. is, ne- is that coming out next year? Yeah, mid, mid next year. I think the summer slot. I mean, are you? Is, is your? I guess is your business now pitching to directors and producers to come on board well, as a conceptual artist, or is it still? A, is it still about people coming to you? It's it's shifted a lot in the last year because the relationships I've made on Origins are set up for really different way of working now what i'm doing with uh, my writing partner hmm. we've we've started a little thing who's, called who's beyond darkness film, uh, paul griffiths okay and uh, it's we've set up beyond darkness films and hmm. the idea is to make british uh, horror films and okay. we've, we've set up about 15 films so far and we're trying to get them all to the same level of pitch as hellraiser not with a teaser but that kind of level and we're currently kind of hitting all the, uh, the studios in the next six months. Okay. So the idea is, for myself, I want to get more into 
purely pitch work and then being involved in the movie beyond you know just concept art. And we got a, um, we're currently pitching a TV show in AFM in the next couple of weeks to the networks. So hopefully that goes ahead and that'll set us up for all the British stuff. Excellent. Well, we wish you the best of luck. Cheers. Yeah. I mean, you've just you've answered me me, me me very final question, which is what's in, what's co- what's coming in the future. But that, that, that <laughs> more than something. Yeah. Um, well, look, I I thank you very much for your time. Thank and, you. Uh, Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.